Thank you for tuning in to the Bread of the Word podcast. Bread of the Word is an online ministry striving to feed people the life-sustaining bread of God's Word. Bread of the Word exists for the reclamation of the Bible in the heart, mind, and walk of all the saints of God, for it is the Bible itself which is the ultimate standard by which people are to live and honor God. Thank you for tuning in. This is Bread of the Word. Welcome back to the Bread of the Word podcast, Reclaiming the Bible and Exalting Christ, one verse at a time. My name is Tyler, and I am excited to be with you this Sunday afternoon as we continue our study in the book of Romans. We have been plowing through this book for several months now, and we are coming to the last few chapters of the book of Romans. It's been, it's been a long series, but it's been really good. I have benefited a lot from studying this book, and I hope you have too. And we are making that transition now from the deep doctrinal portion that was Romans 5 through 11. And now we are entering into the application portion. There's been application throughout the book of Romans. But now Paul is making very direct, intentional um, application on how the gospel spills that into our lives. And he hits on several points, and one of which we will get to today being... The necessity of renewing our minds. We will continue doing what we've been doing. And so let us start with Romans chapter 11, verse 33. And we're going to read all the way through to chapter 12, verse 2. And the reason I've staggered these two is because, well, one, um, when Paul wrote Romans, there weren't chapter divisions yet. So those are things that we have added for breaking it down by theme. And sometimes it's helpful to stagger what we're reading to get the context of what precedes the first verse of a chapter and such is the case here with chapter 12 so verse 33 says oh the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of god how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways for who has known the mind of the lord or who has been his counselor or who has given him a gift that he might be repaid. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So the title of this message is simply on the necessity of renewing our minds. And those of you who are versed in church history will recognize that that is a direct reference to John Calvin, who wrote a book very, very long time ago uh, entitled On the Necessity of Reforming the Church. And I think that 
concept applies to our thinking. In the 21st century, we need a reformation of the mind. We need to reform our thinking back to the Word of God. And this is what we're talking about here in these passages. But before we get to that, we've got Romans 11 wrapping up here. So, Paul lays out this doxology, this, this song of praise. And these are all very Old Testament. These are phrases that we can tie directly to various passages of the Old Testament. But he can, we can break this doxology down into three subjects. The unsearchable ways of God, the superiority of God, and the supremacy of God. And we will go over those as they apply to the text. So starting with the unsearchable ways of God. As it says, Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how unscrutable his ways. Simply put, the wisdom of God is out of our reach. We are not God, and we are bound. He is unbound. We are finite creatures. He is infinite. And that the wisdom of God, it is out of our reach. It is unsearchable by our own means. Because Deuteronomy 29 says that the secret things belong to the Lord, but those revealed to us belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. Simply put, there are things that are secret to us from God. And there are things that he has revealed to us, that what God has revealed to us is not all of him. We couldn't possibly comprehend all that God is, all that he does. All We couldn't comprehend all of that. Our mind cannot fully conceive God. We're not on the same playing field here. As Joel Beakey and Paul Smalley write in the Reformed Systematic Theology, Volume 1, we leave the secrets of God to him with reverence, but we receive his revealed truths with confidence that they are profitable to guide us and our children in God's ways. Paul writes, For whatsoever things were written aforetime, formerly, were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Romans 15.4 All the Bible is profitable for our instruction and spiritual development. 2 Timothy 3.16 There's more to the character of God than we could possibly conceive. The word of God, this, bi this book, the Bible, whole counsel of God as we call it, is simply what God would have us to know about him. And if this book is so difficult to grasp, how much more is God? He is the superior mind, the superior being. Everything about him is superior to us. So his ways are unsearchable and unfathomable. We could spend a lifetime digging into the gold mine of scripture and still come back with basically surface knowledge of who God is. Because his ways are not our ways. He is so much more than we are. So God is unsearchable. He is also superior. Verse 35 for who has given him a gift that he might be repaid? If God is so much more, what could you or I possibly offer to God? 
that is something he has not made? Could we give God something original, something new? Our God made heaven and earth. Not only that, but he made it out of nothing, ex nihilo, as they, as they used to say. We cannot offer anything new to God. It says in Micah, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? What could I bring to thank God for who he is and what he does? Because he is so much more. And he is superior, he is unsearchable, and he is also supreme. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. All things belong to God. He is the king of all things, good and evil. Psalm 24 says that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. Everything is God's. So Paul finishes up Romans 11, talking about all this deep, um, prodding content on the, the covenants and the place of Israel in that covenant. And he finishes with this song of praise about how God is so much more than us, that he is unsearchable, he is superior, and he is supreme. And then he goes to application, that he directs our eyes to the God who is more. The God who is abundantly more than we could ever imagine or describe. So then, what should this knowledge lead us to do? Paul's directed our eyes to God, and now he draws us to application. And this is where the meat and the bulk of where we will be today will be. In Romans 12, 1 through 2, which is one of my favorite passages of scripture. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So, therefore, meaning in light of what's just been said, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice to God. How can we give to God who have made everything? With ourselves. We are a sacrifice that is living, holy, and pleasing to God. This, this is how we worship him. To live for God is a sacrifice. I believe the late R.C. Sproul sums up what this means best in a way that is convicting to all. And he wrote in his commentary on this verse, I used to tell my seminary students, you may think you are studying for a glamorous enterprise in which you are going to make a difference in people's lives. I want you to know before you go into a church and get ordained that it is a throwaway life. When you enter into the service of Jesus Christ, you are throwing your life away. By the world's standards, you are wasting your life. As far as the world's concerned, this is a waste of your time of your talents, of your resources. It is a waste of everything you are. But this is what we give to God. Everything we are. Novelist Ayn Rand wrote in her book, Anthem, of the virtues that make us human. And she argued that the most necessary of virtues of which makes us human is selfishness. 
that when we think of one accord as a body, as a community, we cease to be human. This was very much the culmination of her atheistic framework of thought. She felt that the most important word in healthy human society was ego. But the Bible disagrees. The Bible tells us that we find our life by losing it, and that by saving it, trying to save it, we lose it. Our identity and purpose are ultimately found in the service of our Lord Jesus Christ. Consider the example of Micah 6. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings with calves a year old? We read that a moment ago. What should I offer to God? What can I offer to God? But Micah goes on. Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams? With ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? So he goes from sacrifice practices of like the Levitical priests to the human sacrifice practices of the pagan nations. Is this enough? Is this personal enough of a gift to give to God? But he says in verse 8, He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with God. This is not merely about our conduct, but who we are internally as well. The way we worship God is by sacrificing ourselves and living for God. Rather than that ego, that self mindset, we live for Christ. Romans 12.2 Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Paul urges us to be transformed by the gospel, not just in our behavior, but in our thinking. The Bible is incompatible with postmodernism for this reason. We are to think according to God's ways, not ours. A book that I found very helpful, very profound, that I would encourage you to look for if you would like to check that out and see more of what we're talking about with Building a Christian Mind. J.P. Moreland in his book, Love Your God with All Your Mind, The Reason of the Role of Reason in the Life of the Soul, he makes this comment. Our children can attend virtually any university and, any, and major in any subject they wish. But in a four-year course of study, they will almost never interact with a Christian thinker in their field or with Christian ideas relevant to their course content. Why? No doubt many reasons could be given. But clearly, one reason is that the cream rises to the top. If there are few Christian intellectuals who write college textbooks from a Christian perspective, it must be because our evangelical culture is simply not producing such people because we do not value the intellectual life. After all, the purpose of college for many is to get a job, and coursework is considered secular, not sacred. What is important for our children is that they stay pure in college, and perhaps witness, have a quiet time, and pray regularly. Obviously, these are important, but for a disciple, the purpose of college 
is not just to get a job. Rather, it is to discover a vocation to identify a field of study in and through which I can serve Christ as my Lord. And one way to serve him in this way is to learn to think in a Christian manner about my major. A person's Christianity doesn't be begin at a dorm Bible study when class is over. It permeates all of one's life, including how one thinks about the ideas in one's college major. When the gospel takes root within us in the heart, when we are pierced with the reality that we have broken the law of God and stand condemned, and God has shown us grace and mercy through the sacrifice of his own son, and he puts a new spirit in us, and he writes his holy law on our hearts, when that grips us so, it doesn't just affect our church attendance. It doesn't just make us act a certain way. It doesn't, it's not moral reprogramming. It's not training us to be moral in a different way. The gospel gets into everything. The gospel changes the way we think and the way we operate in every area. Not all at once, but gradually, incrementally, systematically, we are being conformed to the likeness of Christ, as we read about in Romans 8, that we were predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So that includes our work ethic, that includes our view of academia, that impacts our view of everything. And I tie this back to Matthew 22, when Jesus tells us the first greatest commandment. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets, which is to say the whole Old Testament. The greatest commandments, Jesus says, are to render to God all that we are, and then to let that spill into our dealings with our fellow man. But they both come from the same place. The Bible gives us glasses, not so that we can see the world differently than we did yesterday, but so that we can see the world as it truly is today. Therefore, let us not be conformed to a false view of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds as a product of God's mercy. Then we shall know the truth. C.S. Lewis, in his book Paralandra, writes, I suppose everyone knows this fear of getting drawn in, the moment at which a man realizes that what had seemed as mere speculations are on the point of landing him in the Communist Party or the Christian Church. The sense that a door has just slammed and left him on the inside. In short, ideas have consequences. Truth matters. In an age when truth is considered relative or even just a social construct by which people are oppressed, the most crucial need of the hour is to be conformed to truth. This passage, Romans 12, 1 and 2, 
is one of the central texts that is ingrained in the DNA of the Bread of the Word podcast. Because I earnestly believe in the transformative power of truth. That's a capital T, because truth is a person. It's Jesus Christ. For there is one truth, and all truth leads us back to God in some capacity. Otherwise, it is not truth. God, ultimately, is the precondition for all truth. All matters of truth, wisdom, and virtue are weighed on the one hand of the scale, and the other end is him. And either that scale balances, or it doesn't. Because all truth is dependent on God, in some form or fashion. Wherever truth is found, as Augustine said, regardless of its source, if it is true, it belongs to its master, God. And what use would it be for us to know the truth and do nothing with it? Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. God renews our mind that we may walk accordingly. The gospel undoes the damage we read about in Romans 1. You may remember, though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. And they became futile in their thinking. And their foolish hearts were, dark, were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And they traded the worship of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And it says that God gave them over to a dejected mind. That God gave all of us who were born in sin. Every single one of us, God gave over to our sinful passions. And our worldview, the means by which we see the world, the preconditions the presuppositions by which we formulate our ideas of how the world works and how things are was skewed by sin. But through the mercy of God, we are freed from the bondage of sin. And part of that is being freed from a false worldview. And God brings things back to center. We go from a dejected mind to a renewed mind. But God does this often in the midst of difficulty. Many of us were awakened to the nature of our world during the great pandemic of ignorance of the last three years and came to the knowledge of the depravity of this world and of ourselves often and its the systems of this world during a time where disagreeing and disapproving of its methods was for many thought to be as scandalous as anything. The Christian worldview is not new by any means. It's just unpopular, and yet God still calls us to it. Another quote from C.S. Lewis, The war, speaking of World War II, creates no absolutely new situation. It simply aggravates the permanent human situation so that we can no longer ignore it. Human life has always been lived on the edge of a precipice. It's always been hard. It's always been difficult. But sometimes it's the difficult things that are worth doing the most. And such is the case with reforming our minds. I've got a friend who uses the phrase semper reformata. 
which is Latin, and it means always reforming. Often we hear about phrases like reformed theology, like I have reformed my theology and now it's good. But what we call reformed theology is a state of always being reformed, of always looking to conform myself to the word of God, to what thus saith the Lord. And so we are always reforming, we are always adjusting. Sometimes it's minor, sometimes it's major. But we're all being adjusted in our trajectory to line up with the center, which is Christ, the God of our salvation. This is, this is gospel thinking, really. The Christian worldview centers on the gospel. That's the foundation of our thought process. It's not moving on from the gospel to bigger things. It all flows from the gospel. It all flows from the fact that we are sinners in need of a Savior, and that without Christ, we cannot think rightly about the world we live in, because Christ made the world. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through Him all things were made. If we deny that one thing, we can't think rightly about anything. Which is why the gospel saves souls. The gospel makes us right with God. But by being made right with God, it also alters the way we think and the way that we live. Because now, we, see, we begin to see the world as it truly is. Not through a false filter of our own sins. We begin to, we, we begin to see God's world as he made it. We, get, we begin to see his hand in everything. It says in Psalm 19 that the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork, that the heavens are speaking his praises without a voice. That every minute detail of our world points to God. Let us commit ourselves anew to being renewed in our thinking, to semper reformata, always reforming as an act of worship because this is our worship that we are sacrificing ourselves to God. We are laying our lives down to live for God. So let us commit ourselves anew to being renewed in our thinking as an act of worship to the God who made us, the God who redeemed us, and the God who governs us. All of Christ for all of life. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Bread of the Word podcast. I pray that it has been beneficial to your walk with God and that he has called you into a deeper relationship and fellowship with himself. If you want to hear more from Bread of the Word, feel free to hit that subscribe button down at the bottom. Get notified about new content whenever we go live. Um, you can also watch us on Rumble Video and YouTube, or you can listen on your favorite podcast platforms. Um, you can also find us on social media. If you want to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Gab. Links will be provided in the bio um, if you would like to check those out. And there will also be a message in the comment section, um, a free gospel message for download entitled The Two J's, The Joy of the Potter and the Journey of the Clay. That's something that I've written. That's something God laid on me to write and then send out. And so I'm not making anything off of it. I'm not selling it. It is free for you to read and share. We need a further saturation of the gospel in our world in our culture, and it starts right here. 
Bread of the Word Ministries exists for the reclamation of the Bible and the exaltation of Christ through the reading and teaching of His Holy Transformative Word. I hope you guys have a great rest of your day. God bless. Matthew 4.4.